0: idea for all this really came from a dream?
1: Yes, it did. Good evening and welcome to Nox Mente. Tonight's guest is William Ramsey. Attorney, author, and researcher William Ramsey is a graduate of the University of California, Berkeley with a degree in history. William also has a JD and is a member of the State Bar of California. He is the author of Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley, 9-11 and the New World Order, Abomination, Devil Worship and Deception in the West Memphis Three Murders, and Children of the Beast, Aleister Crowley's Shadow Over Humanity. William has made two documentaries called Hollywood Volume 1 and Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley, 9-11 and the New World Order. William, welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, It's awesome to have you. Wait, 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 something's up. I don't... The audio is working. This never happens. Tech issues. Tech issues. u b All right. Can you hear me now? Try say something. Check one, two.
1: Check all right, one, two. all right. William, welcome now to we... the show. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Take two. it's almost like Mercury Retrograde, but it's not Mercury retrograde
3: Hey, at
1: least I caught it before it was like ten minutes into the show yeah, I
2: know.
3: I've, I've actually
0: lost a zoom interview, so like uh, shut that down zoom too early and uh, you,
1: know. you can usually open it back up and it will recover sometimes.
2: I don't
1: know hmm, that sucks. Sorry about that anyway, continue.
2: It's all, yeah, it's all part of the game. That's for sure. And it's, you know, it's an exciting game because it gives uh, people, you know, we all have access to listening to more content that's not going through the middle of of the big six, right? So anyway, William, this is awesome. Uh, So glad to have you here. Let's dive right in. So the world you grew up in, so looking for the things that stick out, the symbols that stick out. So did you, were you a, a child that played in the woods? I already know now that you grew up, you were born in Nebraska. Uh, so relationship with nature, cornfields,
0: perhaps. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay. Comic books, movies, all that kind of stuff that you enjoyed very early on.
3: That's a tough question. I think some of my earlier memories, actually, of Nebraska are positive. Very cold, but also during the summer, it kind of has these rolling, there's definitely nothing on the horizon, but there's rolling grass fields. And I think as a young child, I remember playing in those fields very much like when I was two or three. Those are probably so early. Those are good memories. As far as like symbols and things, i grew up catholic so it was a lot of crucifixes and strange you know a lot of statuary and stuff like that in church i was a fairly regular churchgoer so those are things that i remember and didn't really know much about so they're mysterious and kind of cryptic at least my memory i mean if you want to talk about earlier memories um yeah
2: yeah. this is stuff that sticks out what about like pop culture comic books cartoons what kind of stuff like that did
3: that's a good question. I mean, I don't know what age, age time you want you're interested in, but I mean, I was I'm old enough to have to get up and change the TV without a remote, so I watched those shows from a very early age. So are we? Just- yeah,
2: okay. yeah. we Gen X. Uh, okay. So <laughs> I used to watch. What
3: I liked the old horror movies. Those were all good. So the original, it came from the Black Lagoon. The original star, black and white, um, Dracula, the Bella Lugosi. They used to have something when I kind of earliest memories. My family moved out of Nebraska when I was two or three, and we used to have this old black and white TV. And Friday night, I think it was Friday night horror, was we would stay up late, which is like 10 o'clock. But and those were those were really good memories of just sitting down with a bowl of popcorn and watching those types of. Cheesy films, but I think at that age, they weren't cheesy to me at all. They were really interesting, exciting. The original, Frankenstein. And I really liked the Godzilla, uh, the the Japanese Godzilla Mothra and the Three. I can't even remember their names, but those are early. Gamora. Gamora, yeah. What's the one with the three heads? I, I can't remember that one's name, but uh, I can see
2: it though. That is some good stuff.
3: Yeah. So those are very positive. Like those were really enthralling.
2: Were you, you know, did I, I you like do so a lot stuff. of uh the old reruns of uh what was it? Twilight zone and all that.
3: Yeah, so the, I like Twilight Zone. They used to have this other show that was really good. It was like a short Twilight Zone horror show that I can't remember the name of uh It'll come to me, but it. it actually, creep, I show. Think
1: it, creep show. What was that? it? There was creep show. There was uh, creep
3: show. I think it was creep
1: show, yeah. not the movie. I remember the movie. Yeah, there was a TV I show. It was, it was HBO. Yeah, it was like, I think.
3: Yeah, that was really fun to watch. I mean,
2: what yeah. do you think attracted you to all the the early on to the horror stuff?
3: It was, you know, mildly scary. Like it wasn't super. uh It wasn't super. I don't remember it being
0: very graphic but fun to watch and you know it was fun to watch with your friends so those were um those were good yeah those are good memories like that you'd have sleepovers when you're six or seven yeah
3: yeah but they were you never were really that scared so it was you know i mean there's some scary movies today that, it's what,
2: nice a whole different world <laughs> yeah so yeah uh, i loved all that
3: too.
1: i don't really find today's horror movies scary per se they're more just shock you know violent shock value than and that's the scare not anything that's psychological
0: i agree with that not that
1: the, they don't not that those don't exist just a pr- I'm
0: trying to <laughs> add, like, the real
3: psychological scary ones for me are like shining i thought was psychologically yeah. scary
2: yeah
0: so those ones that the like the adult fear yeah, than
2: I was definitely attracted to psychological horror for some reason. Uh, yeah, I was just like, some, I don't want to say this, but I, I think it's an intelligence thing sometimes where you need that little extra edge where you're piecing together the psycho, the psycho aspect of horror. But I don't know, slashes are never... I was never a big slasher fan. This is why things like Night Gallery and Twilight Zone and that kind of stuff just really.
0: I love hearing Catholic, at least people that grew up Catholic, and making the connection
2: to horror. There seems to be a lot of that I've noticed with you Catholic people. <laughs> yeah.
3: No, I, I'm not. It's not surprising at all. I mean, there's kind of that same kind of. The Catholic Church, I think, tries to promote kind of awe and mystery, and so you're kind of like, "What's this priest doing up there?" Mm -hmm. uh, You know, there's a bunch of icons and drawings, and you kind of have to go. Like some of my earliest memories are going to confession. Like I didn't, I couldn't. I spent my time thinking about what to confess. Like I really wasn't. Bad kid, like maybe a naughty kid who would eat an extra cookie out of the cookie jar or something. But he <laughs> would go into this dark room and sit there, and there'd be like a little lattice work with the dude on the other side. So, you know, there's kind of definitely, I think it's interesting that you make that point. There's definitely an overlap, I think, of that kind of subtle mystery horror that people have when they watch, you know, not super graphic horror films, mm-hmm. but. Mysterious
2: stuff, yeah. There, you know, this is, and as I've said many times, though, anyone listening to the show knows this, I think I'm not a cat, I'm not a Christian, and so I I wasn't brought up that way, but I love, I really love the beauty of Catholicism and how, as an adult looking in, how mysterious it all is still. I mean, come on, the incense, a choir, if you're at a cathedral, there's nothing that stirs that kind of energy
0: it's magic yeah i mean
2: it's it is it's it's pure bliss looking in as just like on the occultic level
0: yeah i mean
3: you could you could make that argument i mean if you've i've been to saint peter's in rome and i've actually been to a papal audience and I mean that's why some people they convert to Catholicism is they like that mystery they like the brazier with the incense, yeah, they like the hierarchy of the priesthood
2: midnight I mean, you, mass
3: hey man, if you walk around at the St. Peter's Cathedral, it's full of occult stuff. obviously oh, wow. these Christians don't even know the sundials there
0: oh, the obelisk the
3: obelisk is there from Egypt, like literally an obelisk that came to Rome from uh Caligula is sitting right in the center of St. Peter's Cathedral. And I've had those arguments with these uh, you know, Catholic types who say, Well, the Catholic Church, um uh, they transcended the old occult meaning of these things. And I've said, but it's still there, man because you still see that kind of stuff in Masonic. See it in Washington, DC exactly so you oh, yeah you' kind of mysterious feeling being in catholic church in rome as you would in washington dc
1: it was more of an absorption than a transcending
2: well the symbols speak no matter what we don't have to consciously even acknowledge them it's happening you know under the surface and so that's that's part of it
3: well don't you think that's the power of symbols is their subconscious meaning that it's yeah. more oh absolutely
2: than... yeah yeah, yeah
3: any symbol even Christian, occult, magic, Islam, even the black cubes and all that stuff. You know,
2: Islam has a all lot. of it. Well, that black, black cube, cube is Saturn.
1: That is, right. Yeah,
2: that that is that's um, and, and isn't there like doesn't it have like an ET origin or something? Isn't
1: it from there's a piece of a meteorite. The Kaaba holds a piece of a meteorite.
3: Correct. Yeah. Right. So touching that meteorite is like a sacred thing. Yes, when you that, yeah,
1: the conspiracy people will say that that's really black goo that the that piece of radio meteorite. and when you kiss it, it will program you <laughs> to be Islamic or Muslim, whatever. And that's it. why they all go around in circles. It's funny.
0: Well, yeah,
2: well, that I mean, whole circle thing too—circling the square and all that.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. Islam true. has a lot of occultism. You start getting really into deep Islam. It's uh, Muhammad. It's, see. Yeah, it's pretty intense. I mean, you can get into revealed books. You can get into the similarities between Muhammad Joseph Smith, Alistair Crowley.
2: Yeah,
3: uh, Yeah, Ron Hubbard.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Did you, so back when you were young, William, do you remember being a child that dreamt? Do you remember dreaming, having any of that kind of experience?
3: Absolutely. I think that as I got older, I don't dream as much, although I still have dreams, but much
0: more vivid vivid dreaming when I was sure. like real like literal tangible dreams and uh uh
3: you know things that you see in the future right so deja vu type dreams very and you no know, much more I think I would have more meaningful dreams of processing things that were happening in my life and then them being addressed in dreams that don't happen to me now I'm 50, I just turned 50, so I don't, you know, I don't have those kind of big
0: dreams. I've had, I've
3: had some, but not not with the kind of clarity and, oddness, you know, the awe-inspiringness that you have when you're 8 or 10.
2: Do you have a couple that may stand out from early, your earliest dreams? Some images or something? Oh,
0: I don't, not right now, I don't remember them.
2: What about, and so still with the young, young William, what about night terrors and nightmares?
3: I mean, I feel like I had some dreams where like I'd go into my parents' room and, but when I was young, but I don't, I never had night terrors or anything like that. I think I've experienced like, um, yeah, but no, no, I never really like wake up and scream, but maybe like wake up and go, wow, what was that?
0: But no. <laughs> never had any Yeah. I've
3: never had any nighttime.
2: Did you so and also back in this early period, did you experience anything that it's common the common stuff like uh being afraid in the dark or something under like the bed? Yeah, you know,
0: kind of yeah, for sure. Go display, you know, when you're six or seven, maybe keep the light on. Yeah. Afraid of stuff in the closet? Absolutely. Yeah.
2: And so also, this is a little stirring a little woo into the pot. Did you, uh, and I don't know when this may have entered your cognitive self or conscious self, uh, the idea of others. So from some of the movies, and certainly Gen X, we, we got some of this. So the ET stuff, like at night
0: you know, I never had those, I never had that kind of ET UFO phenomenon thing happen.
2: So I don't, is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, just like with the fear of the dark and fear of uh, things under the bed and in the closet, I'm just, it's just something I've just started to sniff out a little bit. A few people have been like, I had these fears when I was little, and guess what? It was these, you know, it was this fear of these gray aliens. So I'm trying to sniff out if this is a generational thing, where that is.
3: I didn't have anything that exciting. I had friends who literally had, like, magical friends they would talk to, like that kind of weird kind of thing, but nothing like that really was ever really that exciting in my life. I don't remember...
0: I don't remember anything like that.
3: I just remember maybe just, like, dreams that would involve things that happened during the day. But I don't, I never had an alien dream, although I've, you know, I've seen weird things in the sky. I used to work in Yosemite. and You'd stare up at the sky all the time. Clearly, there's other things going on around there. I don't know if they're UFOs. They're probably, like, secret space program type stuff. But I never
1: had visitation events ever. I'm gonna hijack this conversation right now. So you worked in Yosemite. What about like the missing 411, that type of stuff with David Pilates?
3: Well, that definitely happens. I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in those areas. And I mean, really terrifying stuff. Like I think I was there in 88, then the Stainer guy was one who like, uh, just did horrible things to people. But there were rumors up there of cults, and there were rumors of body parts coming down the, the the rivers. So there was a definitely a dark, you know, kind of primeval, primordial current that was there, that was underneath there at night, but not
1: kind of like the UN.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely something at the UN. Holy smokes! Yeah, I uh, um, you know, right? But uh, I yeah. Oh, you no, know, somebody's interesting because it was like a mix of like prime, primeval, primordial world of uh, like enchanted evenings, and then like a McDonald's Disneyland atmosphere during the day. Because you could go up into the higher parts there and sleep, and like literally, it's like you could feel a completely different emotional, mental state in the middle of the night where things in the dark are definitely walking around and then go back and you're eating at some, you know, food stand with a bunch of tourists who can't figure out where half them is. There's definitely that
0: uh, duality.
2: When you say there is cult activity or a cult, I didn't, I missed which version of Well, that.
0: there, there
3: were rumors that people would disappear and, you know, so they never, they, some people argued that there was some kind of cold activity up there that was associated with the occult, but, you know, I never saw any. But I they said the same thing. They're actually, when I grew up in Northern California, up in the Santa Cruz Hills, there was definitely cold activity. If people knew about it. People would go up there to go into the older redwood forest that kind of semi exists in the uh, spaces between Santa Cruz and San Jose. Mm-hmm. So that was there, you know. That there, there was definitely that undercurrent, or you want to call it a cold current, sure. But I was never, you know, I was an interest in that or a part of that.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's just interesting to broaden the scope of what what's going on in the the national forests, and it's it's nice to get. Inside information. Inside is that you work there. So you got to experience, you know, the uh, polarity of the day side show, dog and pony show with the tourists, and then the mystery
3: No, because the mysteries are there. You didn't have to go very far. Because the strange things about Yosemite is very few people actually go into the backcountry. They just drive in, they stay at a hotel, and then leave. But you didn't have to go more than five miles and you were in the middle of literally primeval, you know, California. So, um, in that regard, it was great. Like those are very good memories, but you know, and then you kind of come back, it was like, uh, it was like a little mini adventure, but not having to go that far. That how, was a long time ago, 30 years ago.
2: Yeah. That's why I was going to ask how old you were when you were working there, So you're like twenties.
3: Yeah, but the other interesting thing is that there were a lot of Indians, so there's a lot of Native Americans around there. Mm-hmm. So I actually used to meet a lot of Native Americans, a lot of Mormons. So you see this weird kind of mishmash of different people from different cultures, you know. So it was uh interesting. I used to play ba- I used to play basketball with these two Indians and they would just do incredible things because they would talk to each other in their own language. And nobody would say, like you would understand if you heard the words pass me the ball, but if you heard somebody in in Native American say that, it wouldn't even register in their brain. These guys would make incredible plays and passes and just mystify the Westerners. It was incredible. It was fun to play with them.
1: If they were only taller.
0: They weren't very tall, but they were very athletic. Well, the Navajo are tall.
2: The Plains Indians are very tall.
0: I think the ones I don't know which which Indian
2: tribe. Do you, I don't remember. Like all the Great Plains Indians, that, all that I know, are six foot five, six foot six, six foot seven. They're very tall. And so I think of like more the Pueblo Indians that are shorter.
3: I think they were from Northern Arizona, so they were the kind of Native Americans who got integrated into the LDS Church. Those yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know exactly. Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. But, you know, the slice one those, my mother is Sac Fox from Iowa. And uh, and so I've had, I just had a lot of exposure to different natives in the states. And a lot of people think that they're short. I think that comes from the, maybe this more Southern American Indians too, like get down to New Mexico, Arizona, in New Mexico. Uh, anyway, so when, I want—I was curious about when you were working there. Did you? Was there anything that was going on in your dream life then? Were you still d- dreaming pretty significantly at that point?
3: You know, I don't remember. I don't think so. I, don't, I think I was slept. Very, I actually was in really good physical shape, so I would sleep
0: like a rock.
3: And I was very active, I was outdoors and active very much and hiking all the time, so I don't really recollect having really vivid dreams like but just you know just kind of being in that kind of liminal state at times, yeah, civilization and really like it remind- comes to what comes to mind to me is also when you drive highway one out here, you go through Big Sur where nobody really lives that southern part and you see that primeval <clears throat> field yes. without humanity because and that's kind of what we're that's what my memories of certain parts of the sierra nevadas
2: yeah did you and so while we're still there uh did you ever experience anything with say cryptids like sasquatch
0: no no Never saw
3: any Sasquatch or anything like that. I remember being out at night staring at the sky and seeing literally like some kind of light fall out of the sky. And I was like, that wasn't anything that was, you know, was an airplane or anything like
0: that. But I don't, I never had a kind of, uh, like something came through a portal or anything like that. I just don't think that was really in my mindset at that time.
2: Yeah, well, that see, that's those are the best people. Like, like for me, when I only had one Sasquatch experience, and I never even thought—I always thought it was a joke. Seriously, I'm so open-minded to all this other stuff, but when it came to like Bigfoot, it was like no way. And then, you know, out in out Hood. But so let's talk about the dream landscape for you in general. When you dream. How does it appear? Is it is it in color? Is it... Uh... Always in color. Yeah. In color. Are
3: there... Yeah, I mean, they're usually pleasant dreams. I don't usually have really, like, dark...
0: Uh, you know, some people always have these, like, menacing dreams or mm-hmm. dreams. Mine are usually kind of like your
3: brain is just firing off. From yeah. You. I used to have... I used to... I used to have these horrible dreams when I was in law school that I would miss a test. <laughs> and so I used to have these horrible dreams where I would wake up and then I would be like, oh no, I missed a test. So like you would have,
2: this is my other cat. That cat is gorgeous. I this is a her. Russian blue. We found yeah. it. At, uh,
0: his name is Sage. Oh
2: see? my God. That's a gorgeous cat. He's
0: really a big old troublemaker, but he's a good cat. He has a weird
3: kind of uh meow it's not like a true cat, meow, it's like a squeak,
0: very different. It's a different type of cat Uh
2: blue fur in nature is my favorite
0: yeah, it's cool, and they supposedly
3: they don't they don't really moult, they don't really shed their their uh, personal, so nice. but as far as dreams always in color and never you know I've had some
0: interesting dreams like deja vu dreams like I've seen something in a dream, but never. Never really, uh, yeah. I mean, some people they have
3: great dreams or vivid dreams or fever dreams or something like that. I don't think I've ever had that.
2: Well, you mentioned when you were young, you had m- made the comment that uh, led me to believe that your early early dreams were you'd mentioned deja, deja vu with them. It led me to think maybe some precog stuff was going on like you would dream true did did you have any hits where you're like i remember this i remember dreaming this or this this came to pass
0: yes
3: like sometimes you would have a dream and then be in a very normal you know not kind of a
0: standard you know event and then say i've dreamed that but typically within a shorter period of time than
3: that last dream. So it wouldn't be like 10 years later, you know, it would be within the next year or two. Or two. But never really, the, those are really my experiences with
2: deja vu. They still count. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. still
0: counts.
2: <laughs> and I love that. It seems to be uh, less common to hear that in my experience where people can attribute deja vu to a dream
0: but that's
3: always kind of where my deja vu experiences are they're all experienced back to my dream Mm
0: -hmm.
2: yeah me too and and so that was listening to deja vu experiences with a lot of talking about this it's always interesting to see where people connect on but you'd be surprised i think we're in the minority
0: oh interesting Mm -hmm.
2: so uh, let's talk architecture and dreams for a minute too in so in the just overall new life it doesn't matter when uh are there places that are there familiar dreamscapes now i know that we're talking dreams so they change they have this mutability to them but where you know it's like you go back you're like oh i know this house or i know that place even though it may appear different there's this knowing
0: of it
3: yes that sounds right So the landscape is familiar in most of my
0: dreams. Like I'm not at some other place that I've never seen before. If I have, yeah. I mean, if you're talking within the context of, uh, you know, precognition, it's usually that way. But I've never, I don't really have dreams of, I'm in some unusual place, no. And and then also, what about, so
2: then like dream, the classic dream stuff like flying dreams
0: oh I think I had
3: a more when I was younger definitely I would have flying dreams you know like flying to school mm-hmm. I remember dreams of like seventh grade you'd fly instead of riding my bike <laughs> what that. kind of
2: flyer were you
3: like Superman like flying <laughs> <to me. laughs> I love that I... A, I think it was a response to the drudgery of biking 20 minutes to school you know? oh man that's quite we a wanna get there faster.
2: Yeah. Was that so you, you left Nebraska at like two or three and you moved to California? Correct.
3: So I lived in Northern California till graduated from college in ninety-three, went to law school in DC from ninety-five to then moved back to Northern California and
0: I've been in LA since two thousand two.
2: It's impressive though that you still have those memories of Nebraska at that young age. That's, you know, I uh, I, have, I actually have
3: very early memories that most people would say they don't have memory. Like you're not supposed to be able to remember anything from before you're two.
2: And so, well, uh, you know, one of the significators there too is that you did move early on. So stuff, you could place stuff easily to that period that's uh instead of someone who n- never really left the same place and it the the dynamic of memory and all that comes in, but you moved when you were two or three, so those memories place you there with memory yes. what kind of, so and the memories you have in nebraska were were basically what you gave us earlier.
3: No, but I mean, I still remember certain things of the house that I lived in. I was the youngest of four, of four, so I had older sisters, and I still remember them at a time that you're not, and I've talked to my parents, and they say, well, that was the house that we lived in when you were one and a half, so how would I know the entryway where the kitchen was placed, where the sliding glass door was placed, where the, the stairs to the upstairs were,
0: where yeah, the lift was
2: that's what's impressive because you can it's it's clearly you move you're here you're in this landscape and then you're not so when you pull that those memories up and cross you know talk to a parent or someone that was there that's impressive
3: but they're not like super long memories they're just snapshots you know so i do remember my kid my brother and sister when they were just you know three my sister older sister's four years older than yeah so i still kind of have those memories i still have youthful the vignettes you know like snapshots not like
0: yeah yeah something
3: i remember the whole thing that happened over two hours or now. like i could retrace my steps last night for three hours but i you know but those early memories of being one somewhere between one and two i remember
0: that
2: yeah that's that's great it's great, especially with the stuff that I I dive into. I'm interested in with memory and dream and the whole idea of how elusive and transitory these things can be. But it's
3: interesting because, in my understanding, I'm no trained psychologist, but I was told that you're not supposed to be able to remember anything before you're two, and that's kind of right at the the crux of where those memories that I have are yeah
2: well there's there's a a lot we could deep dive on that for sure I have I have memories back to six months as we'd moved before we'd moved when I was six months old and I can I have just snapshots but my mother said the same thing oh that was this house <laughs> you know and so that's what's great about having um significators like this house was this house and we moved and so you pull up these images. What about, so with the idea of of all this and the you're interested in, in like early horror and sci-fi, where do you think, so this is kind of, this is not really in the dream territory, but I wanted to, I did want to do a little dive into uh, the Crowley stuff. Okay. Don't mind. So, where do you think? How do you think you got onto that? Well, I know where
3: about? I got onto it is that I was a 9 11 researcher. So, I was trying to figure out these numerology that other people believe in. I never really studied numerology, I wasn't interested in it. I never bought a book on the new age. But I think that other people, like Crowley and even other, like I talk about it in uh, my most recent movie that I put out called Hollywood Version 2, which is that the great model that the Kubrick uses is 11 feet tall. So why is this 11 all over the place? Why is Harry Potter's wand 11? So I think that that's really what led me back to Crowley is like his 93 and 77 all mm-hmm. the back. So that was really, I'm sorry, it's probably 2005 or six, you know, not that long ago. But Those that's, were you know.
1: two of the flight numbers too, right? 77 right. and 93. So,
3: so I do believe that that whole event of 2001 was preplanned, and that there's all kinds of occult indicators there that I think the people who planned it did for occult reasons and power reasons for power what they thought they could pull off, which I did pull off. Oh yeah. Next. Crowley's got a prime number. Of the Crowley, the real Crowley number that leads back to Crowley is 93. So, so That was the number that Crowley used through the gematria. And transliterated two big important words in his
0: religion, which were agape and telema. So that's it. So that's really nine eleven is where I started.
2: Jerry, what were you trying to add?
1: I was just gonna say that next week, next Wednesday night, is our, our new show, The Obelisk, which is gonna be about nine eleven. On nine eleven. Starting at nine eleven, by the way.
2: <laughs> we're driving that home.
1: Yeah. But we're gonna it's, we're gonna look at the esoteric side, you know, uh, the ritualistic aspects of nine eleven, including the numerology.
3: Right. Well, I mean, if you really want to get deep, look at the architecture. Look at the whole architecture that leads mm-hmm. back through Rockefeller, through the UN, through World Trade Center, through the Great Spherical Caryatid, mm-hmm. through the one hundred and eleven stories on each building, through the idea of passing through the gates of Hercules. I think it is where like the the, there's a clear method of transformation in that date of going from one phase of world history to another and i think that that's the intent so sure there's cool. a lot and i think the people who designed it there's a
0: really great interview by uh but the architect who built some of the stuff on that it was uh i can't even remember i'm too old for good names. It's okay. but anyway, it'll
1: come to me. Did you see that today um that architects for nine eleven 11 and architects and engineers for nine eleven put out a report, I think it was them, today about World Trade Center about Building 7? So. Yeah.
2: Well, the extenography is a, a very big deal. Uh when you start digging into it because it goes way back and uh you know the whole X- I mean, it's more than this, but X marks the spot. is a big deal throughout the occult.
0: Uh, well, I don't, when you say extra, externography, what do you mean by that?
2: I mean the occult symbology under the surface of of the symbol itself. Well,
1: I think that's, that's the externography X- is like the, the whole hooked X thing, and the Xs in project names and whatnot. It's, it's a series of... Uh, Connections that a dark journalist has found going back all the way back to like Blavatsky and Rudolf Steiner and all that stuff. Interesting.
2: Going back to Sumer and Egypt and uh, it's, it, it goes way back as far as we've got recorded uh, cultures. It's, it's, it's everywhere. And when you see it it doesn't have to be the hooked X, it, but the hooked hooked X certainly is, what a lot of people think about, and it, but it was always like that whole X marks the spot thing is right. there's something here for those who know and have eyes to see, and so and in context to this conversation with uh, 9/11, that is a juicy aspect that that you were just bringing up, William. But so when, why I. Why I went there is I wanted to find, I wanted to know, much like this X that we're talking about, where the kernel was from the synchronistic wave that got you onto, so that got you into Crawley, which we find out is 9 11. Where do you think the kernel is of what would get you into these waters to begin with? Why would you start questioning these realities? Where
3: is that? It's actually not because of knowledge. It's because of lack of knowledge. So yeah. I didn't know these things existed. I didn't know somebody like cruelly existed. I didn't have that background to fit that into my mind. I would have a biblical background, maybe the Witch of Endor or Janice and jambres who strived against Moses, which is referred to from St. Paul, but nothing in the modern sense. So I think that. I wanted to know what these people think. And I wasn't, I didn't come from an elite family or go to these private schools. I didn't have entry entry into any kind of masonry or secret society. So that's really what, what uh, really, really made me want to figure it out. like, What's really going on? Who are these people? And why is there a connection between these people and this event? And really trying to figure out, because there is something secret under the surface. Once you really get under that, the occult, and it's not fashionable to say, but the occult or esotericism has had a much greater impact upon human events, human history, human culture than people really want to say, really acknowledge. And I think that that's kind of why I really looked into Crowley in depth and really wanted to figure out what he said. Without an intermediary, so that was really kind of the idea of going back and looking at all the source text, which is very laborious in his in in Crowley's regard because there's just so much information, so that was a was a, a decent amount of lifting, but it really I think it's based and sourced in not knowing you know
2: yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, you've definitely given us this picture of you as a a curious person early on, which I you know, this is the kind of, this is my kind of people. (laughs) I like people that are curious and are questioning. Would you, would you give us some insight into, we talked about this in the pre-show a little bit about dreams in context to Crowley and where all that fits in.
3: Well, that's a good question. I think that some people intuited, or there was some kind of current, if you want to call it, a collective unconscious, or something that 9/11 was going to happen. Because I've talked to a number of people who had strange dreams about the twin towers, or there was something liminal, or something in the you know in this kind of dreamscape that rests underneath our our superconscious or you know, our frontal lobe thinking. And I think, so I think that that those dreams of this kind of Crowley and 9-11, because I do believe 9-11 was tied in part to Crowley. So I do think that um, a lot of people experience a lot. Some people had, had premonitions of something bad happened. So...
1: Now, a lot of people will say that uh, the the echoes, if you will, of 9-11 in media prior to 9-11 were predictive programming. And I would I would argue that it's more like premonition turned into creative energy. You know, instead of having a dream about 9-11, you get the idea for putting something that looks 9-11-ish in The Simpsons, for instance, in, in the 90s, you know, things like that. What do you think well, about Well, that's it? an
3: interesting point. I think a lot of people knew that 9-11 was gonna happen. I think it was an important date. I think 2001 was an important date. I think that, Really intelligent people who um, were interested in facilitating this kind of global change integrated these concepts into the common culture. Whether it's Kubrick, Arthur C. Clarke, Donald Rumsfeld.
1: Pardon me, Donald Rumsfeld.
3: Donald Rumsfeld seemed to know what was happening. Mm-hmm. A lot of people seemed to know. They were all kind of an elite bent, kind of high, Masonic, post-Masonic types. Seemed to know. So the symbolism. And all that stuff was all leading up to this event that, uh, you know, really kind of changed the world. It kind of peeled off the old skin and replaced it with something new that, for me, was not positive for humanity. It's,
1: in it's very not positive in any way.
3: No. And that's your number 11. If you want to go back and read, like, in Prophet of Evil, you know, the number of 11 is associated with all kinds of baleful, negative things. So.
1: Sure, uh, and you also can look at it that uh, the the nine and eleven are part of the tree of life, and I forget what which sufferer they are exactly, but by going from nine to eleven, you skip death. Right. It's skip like,
3: Doth or whatever.
1: Yeah, Doth. Right.
3: Nine itself is kind of a power number, like LeVay used nine as mm-hmm. like a top number. The Beatles kind of referenced it, so nine seems to be
2: Tesla. Yeah,
3: like an, well. uh, power board. and then 11 is the meeting of the macrocosm and the microcosm and the magicians
0: mm-hmm. I think
3: that uh you know that I, people ask me why did they do it on 9-11 I don't think they had a choice honestly if you're going to pick the proper date to have a magical working I don't think you have a choice but to pick and it's interesting too that that date was a date that coincides with the Christian kind of calendar. So right. it wasn't a kind of a cold calendar. It wasn't a Jewish calendar. It's not the, uh, it's not the uh, what do you call it, the Islamic calendar, the moon. You know, it's basically a moon calendar. So why did these people decide to have that date based upon current Christian calendar tradition?
1: I've thought about that too, and I think, that it comes down to, it doesn't matter. It's the idea of the date that matters. Thank you. Right.
2: Well, that right, the idea is a thought, and so the thought, a, a thought, then comes a conscious form, starts forming its own consciousness, and like a tulpa, did we lose William?
1: he probably wants to get his dog or something
0: all right somebody's at the door I'm okay
1: back. no problem take your time i'm good i'm good
2: i'm like where'd william go so so with with all this with the idea of say architects setting this up through sigilic sigils and i mean that loosely sigil uh so it doesn't have to be a specific cabal of people coming together. It could; it's not off the table. Uh, but where they're feeding thought forms and thought forms that are placed in public for a, a working, a greater working in in different areas, and certainly we could we could. Examine all the stuff that has come forward in different events. There, we, you know, the Simpsons had this and all that kind of stuff. But so thought forms that are placed in public to be seen, like they did in the medieval period, where they would, you had to publicly place something on, uh, you know, on a tree stump or all this. This is this is justified. So you have an unconscious group of people unconsciously feeding into sigual and then by unconsciously feeding into it we're looking at energy now and we're looking at the idea of energetics then then that in effect can turn and manifest something and we get chatter and then the thoughts happen do you think all this was at play
0: that's a tough question
3: i do think that these guys use sigils hypersigils and try to do things to, you know, uh, adjust, make adjustments in the psychosphere. If you really want to, I like that term in some ways. Yeah, yeah that's
0: uh, a good one. Uh,
3: uh, it's interesting because if you really, I really enjoyed the uh, True Detective first season, and they used a lot of stuff or ideas that were uh, arguably lifted from Thomas Ligotti, who had this kind of idea of the psychosphere. You know, Ligotti himself is an OTO member. He actually plays in a cult band. So I do think that the really sophisticated ones, the experienced long-term kind of occultists, definitely play that game for sure. And definitely yeah. I think that that, that that game is influential because I think in their thought, if you look at guys like uh, Genesis P. Orange, they're trying to facilitate this kind of, and even Crowley himself, Like Crowley's number for global, you know, illumination was four eighteen. So these guys put that stuff out there with the intent that maybe somebody will see that and wonder what that is, and have this very synchronistic influence upon the way they think and act. So I do think that that's really true. I don't think it's is overt. I think nine eleven itself was a hyper powerful, um, traumatic event for variety of people and sort of it was very sophisticated because I think there was people in the know and people not. in. The so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think what you're saying with your, if I understand your, what your question is, I do think that those high end occultists, the real magi, the maguses are doing that to make that change. And I think the ultimate change is new world order principles. And, uh, I mean, from a Christian perspective, it's the ultimate thing is to to put Satan in the seat of God
0: in in Jerusalem. I think that's really what it is.
2: So with with all this in mind, I want to jump back to the idea of lucid dreaming. And uh, so you mentioned earlier that you had very vivid dreams as a young person. Do you, so first of all, what's your idea of, high lucidity in a dream in the dreamscape and have you attained that or experienced that in and, and it doesn't matter what period of your life. But.
0: I think I've experienced something like that. Yeah. I think so. I mean I think some of have different dreams where
3: they come to like their realization of what they're supposed to do with their life or solution to personal problems. So I think that those are the highest lucid dreams where like you snap out of a sleep state and uh you you solve a problem. So I think in some ways I've had something like that but that's the way I would decide I would de- describe this hyper top level top tier lucidity
2: where you real where you realize that you're you're dreaming.
3: Right yeah I think so. Like you know that you're an, you know, I, I think that if you really want to, I, I certainly haven't done, like, you know, actually, it's interesting, because the, their dreams do pop up often. in the Bible. There are tons of dreams, informative dreams, uh, Joseph's dreams, uh, instructive dreams of the Old Testament. And I think that that's why, uh, in part, Freud did talk about dreams often. You know, he wrote a book about analysis of dream dream analysis right so you probably but uh so i do think that if you really want to get into dreams i I think that you would have to start parsing dreams through different varieties of dreams just random misfires meaningful dreams prophetic dreams informative dreams so
0: hyperlucid dreams
2: well one of the one of the uh I guess avenues I'm going here with is say because in context to you, this is the show's about you, and um, the work you've done is is this idea of through lucidity and within the dreamscape, the idea of doing workings consciously in the dream state as the architect in the dream state and then waiting to see them manifest in what we consider the waking state and so like we we're talking nine eleven, we started with Crowley
0: you know and his workings where do you see what are your thoughts I'm sorry, you have to repeat that. Your dog was kind of... I open. know,
2: sorry. They're, they're getting all excited. Uh, so you we're... Like
3: a question. Oh, yeah. me yeah. dog question.
2: How do you see that playing out? So by people who have attained this ability to remain lucid and be lucid in the dream state and be as architects, creating sigils and doing higher workings and then watching them play out in waking life, per se not just personal stuff, but public stuff. So, and, you know, cause I'm tying this in, you did, you know, you, you did all the Crowley uh, stuff and nine 11. It all seems connected to me.
0: Well, I would agree with that. So you're saying dreams Crowley and nine 11 are all connected.
2: The idea of manipulating Uh, the outer world through your inner world through a state of high lucidity so that being awake within the dream and so setting say setting up a ritual sigil as a dreamer within the dream and then waiting to see how it plays out in the outer world is this a possibility
0: i don't know you have to ask a practicing magician i don't know i don't know i
3: i think that uh it's an interesting concept I think if I understand what you're trying to impart, but I would think that that means that you are trying to create a circumstance of like ritual magic in your mind that then you wake up and then impart out there. Wouldn't you say that's some kind of like magic? I mean, it's some kind of magical practice. Like I would put that in a different thing than saying a prayer or something like that. um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I assume maybe there's some magical manual about that, doing some kind of well, mind ritual and having oh, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. If you want to get into Crowley's kind of dictums, the whole purpose of magic is to create change and conformance of your will, right? So uh, if your will is to make facilitate this change in the wor- world, then maybe you do some ritual to help them make that Happen. I think that Crowley himself would ritualize almost any of his desires to try to make them manifest.
0: Absolutely.
2: What do you think the state, the difference in, say, a high lucidity dream where you're awake, you're just totally awake, you know you're awake, and for whatever reason, whatever got you to that state within your dream, and in this state of consciousness that where we are talking here, and where you know, we're awake talking, and so right. I'm I'm feeling a nowness. So,
0: yeah, I don't know. I guess you would have to try to get into that state. I mean,
3: wouldn't you call? Wouldn't you call like a yogic practice? Trying to get into that high end kind of semi-sleep state where you create change, whatever you want. In some ways, I mean, you could say that that's some kind of eastern practice. Right? So that's just whole- a-
1: Sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I don't know. I'm
3: just, I'm just kind
1: of... Yeah, I think the whole idea, especially with magic and swamis or gurus or whatever, is to get into an altered state of consciousness. I mean, Crowley's talked about that. And it's in, in that state is where you can connect to things outside of this physical realm. I think right. that's kind of the goal. And then if you can get their attention, you can manipulate reality. If, yeah. if it's a thing, if it's not you.
3: I would assume, I, I don't practice magic, but I would assume there's some kind of manual or something Crowley would do or anybody who would want uh, to make those changes, right? So you do these different rituals to get in that different state, to get mm-hmm. well, whether it's
0: efficacious. Or, I, don't,
3: yeah, I don't practice magic. Well, <laughs> even, I
2: mean, They're we all don't practice magic, but like say, even as a Christian, when you know the, the idea of prayers right and uh and that kind of stuff and the, i say the idea of prayer in the purest of forms talking about getting closer to god and saying the highest form instead of you know let my baseball team win please god <laughs> you know <laughs> like some people get into that but right. these states where you're trying to ascend further and uh that that could be viewed in the same light. It's just a different, it's just a different sense. And I would agree
3: with that. I think that if you look from a Christian tradition, I do think that people who are involved in prayer, once they wake up, they're in a different state, right? That's the whole idea of prayer, whether it's you're trying to solve your problem, trying to look at reality through God's eyes try to do what Jesus do in a very you know, trite explanation. But once they're done with prayer, that's the whole thing. So whether you're in church, whether it's you're at the foot of your bed before you go to sleep, I mean, that was the whole, a very important part of the Christian tradition was to say a prayer before you go to bed, right? So then
0: you're entering into this state with a heightened, hopefully a closer or heightened connection to the Creator. That makes sense
2: yeah, absolutely, and that's that's kind of where I'm going is that that process of getting connected and and um and 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 with so and i I wanted to make that difference the differentiation between the person that's praying for the baseball team right and the person right. that's looking to get closer to God because sure. that's a different state of mind
0: way different absolutely
2: yeah, and uh. And so, okay, so with that in mind, let's back out into this apparent reality that we call reality, waking life. What do you think, what's the difference between, and this is opinion, this is where you stand, the idea of waking life and say this acute dream life where you are, and I'm talking about the waking dream life, so the lucid dream life.
3: So, in a state of being asleep. So, what's the difference between
2: within right being now? awake, within being asleep? Remember, lucidity and the, the lucid dream is you're awake within the dream, and sure. um, and then so that state of being to this state of being where we all agree that we're we're talking via Zoom and right.
0: you know, well, I would, I would say
3: the distinction would be a, a much more physical as opposed to mental and spiritual state would be the might be my primary distinctions because if you're not using your body and you're in a state of heightened awareness in a liminal sleep or
0: a heightened sleep or whatever you want to call it um that would be my primary distinction that would be the difference
1: or psilocybin trip
3: or psilocybin trip maybe that's it if that really works I mean, if that, if getting, how do you get into that state? Do you, I mean, if you look into kind of mystical traditions, people do all whirling dervishes. They do all kinds of different things to get into a heightened state, right?
1: Absolutely. And this, the spinning is definitely one of them.
0: Spinning, yoga, meditation. Fasting. Mantras. Fasting. Well, that's my point
2: is how real is is this apparent reality once and so beyond beyond the idea of the wheel of every day of stuff that has to be accomplished every day that is actually kind of a mindless sleep state
0: yes no that's a good point definitely uh that's a great question
3: i mean you're you're getting i mean, it seems like you're kind of getting into the mystery of consciousness you know like what part of consciousness are you at any given time of the day, you know? So I would say that internal life is just as important as the external life, you know? I think that there's, I think that most people's external life influences the external life. The internal life influences the external life. So I would say almost your internal life is more important, how you see the world, how you perceive things. But I do think that the realm of the senses exists. Absolutely.
2: Well, and it, it, you know, it's all murky water when we put anything from the now into the past, and especially as we go back, memory is a very strange thing. Yes. And it's as it's as liminal as, as dreams. It's, it's what true. holds it down to what we consider reality is is what pictures, movie, you know, video of us at some point,
0: <laughs> right? how past is the past how do you make, I mean,
2: really
3: how people are still bitching about history that happened five thousand years ago right I don't know
2: absolutely so, making
3: conscious present-day decisions based upon events that happen in prehistory so to say that some of that stuff is really that past well then you have to kind of grade it how far past
0: is it? I don't know I don't know some of these yeah I mean yeah some of these memories yes
2: in so in dreams william have you experienced people that you know have passed or even better yet did you experience did you know they were going to pass before they did pass
3: no but i've heard of people who've had those kind of experiences i think that some people are more attuned i would say that it's like uh People's capacity for hypnotism is all different. So, some people are much more easy in that kind of uh, pre-cog, whatever you want to call it, deja vu sensitivities. Certain people are more attuned than others. So, but I've never experienced that, but I know people who have.
0: I know somebody died and then they find
3: so I've heard many, many, many of these stories. Yeah. It,
2: did you have you uh, experienced so? that aside what about just experiencing people you know that have died in
0: dreams you you see they're dead and then they show up I'm trying to remember. you know i've been very fortunate i don't have a lot of death like family death or anything like that but uh I'm trying to remember like even
2: pets count you know the pets, pets.
0: Count. i remember my pets yeah i still have good memories of my pets
3: my first dog was snoopy but i still had when i was a kid i had dreams more dreams of him oh
2: but, really uh, yeah snoopy in him? i love that <laughs> i
0: love that you call I it like that yeah Uh, i think that
3: those charlie brown was a little more maybe it's influential still i don't know it seems like it was more influential back in the but i don't so, remember a lot of dead i don't have dead people talking to me or giving me advice like some people have
0: you know we're much closer to loved ones in their mind so i don't i don't really have that yeah,
2: yeah and, and you are lucky that you know that you still have you've been graced That's with
0: yeah you know yeah. I, there's so many other tragedies out there that haven't befallen my uh you know, people in my orbit, but yeah, I just don't. I just you know I have a very boring dream. I, I think you can tell it's not that exciting.
2: I disagree. I, I don't. I don't categorize in that way. Okay. So, so with this idea, what do you think? And again, this is all this is we're just this is all fodder, and okay. it's, you know it's philosophizing in a way what do you think what's how does the process of death what is the death experience how is it separate from all this and and even death is a state of consciousness
0: absolutely so i think
3: uh i think that there's some element of our lives that is like a soul so i think that the body dies and something that isn't quantifiable yet goes some, you know, goes somewhere else. Just kind of for me, it's the Christian afterlife. You know, you go to a place, you become judged, and you know, that's that's for me is what happens. And, and in some ways, it can It's not really reincarnation. It's really a
0: resurrection, some other place. So. Uh, that's. I don't believe in, you know, I'm not a Darwinist. I don't believe in uh, permanent death or anything. I believe in the concept of soul.
2: I like your distinction here with resurrection to reincarnation. I find that provocative and beautiful, and um, it resonates with me, by
0: the way. So you well, I mean if you say, if you
3: if you accept Christ as Messiah who like I do who is the resurrection and the life and that God sent Christ into the world to redeem all of humanity from the greatest problems of humanity which are sin and death sin is kind of like an error an error in behavior and I do believe that Christ has that power So then you believe in some other time and place outside of normal time that that happens. And I think that that's the potency of the Christ story that a lot of people didn't realize is that he was the first fruits of the resurrection and came back and talked to his disciples, the ones that were made, and tried to show that thing. So that's really the great hope for all God's creation is this. This state and place of being that transcends corruption and death. And that I think that's really something that's not emphasized enough about Christ is that it's about
0: becoming perfect in the eyes of God. I think through Christ, the, through his teachings and emulating that, that's that's really the, the core power of Christ. The Christianity, Christianity
3: in its core sense. Not the churchianity version, but that's the core for
0: all people, and I think that's really the power of what's known as the gospel. That's really good.
2: the idea of transcendence is uh, is a big one across the board, as you know, and and you just you know you just gave us that with the the Christ narrative and with the resurrection and. And also, I think when I think personally, when I think reincarnation as opposed to resurrection, and I view that from the eyes of, say, immortality, right, of the soul, uh, then the idea of reincarnation has this connotation for me of almost like a memory wipe.
0: Right, yes, I would agree with that
2: where resurrection is you're just you've ascended in some way almost like a fractal right or mandelbrot you know you've just spiraled into a new level of 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 consciousness that is still maintaining and hence that immortality thing and i'm wondering what your ideas are with states of consciousness via dreams death waking life funneled through the idea of resurrection and immortality
0: what's is there does this go beyond the linear experience
2: for you is there
0: say so i mean they talk
3: about, yeah, so like when you die, your soul goes. I don't have the Catholic view. You go
0: to a, well, a, a happy place. Yeah, you go to the happy place. But, I mean, I think that like the view of the Is world. Is it limbo?
2: The Catholics have limbo. You know,
1: yeah, I'm limbo, to, purgatory, heaven, hell.
2: that's
3: yeah. the word. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I don't believe in that. I think that your soul goes in, in time, in God's time um you know you get judged for your work you and then you get your heavenly reward so i do believe that something like that so i would say that death some form of your consciousness
0: something of your immortal being transcends the end of life so um and then
3: if you know whether that's a dream state or something like that i don't know you know I mean, uh, you really kind of get into what you really believe. It's
0: like, what are these different states of being? Because um, you're into like some pretty heavy-duty mysteries and
3: how to explain them. How do you explain reincarnation or resurrection, really? So if you're looking at it from a uh, Hindu view, you're reincarnated, right? So where does your soul go? How does it get re- redone?
0: So, I mean, it's interesting, too, because the I was reading the Greek view of
3: their idea of reincarnation, and it kind of overlaps with Christian and Hindu ideas. But it's, you go, your soul is taken over the river Styx, right? And then you get judged by, for your, your works. I can't, I think this was from Plato. You get judged for your works, and then you get reincarnated based upon
0: prior works so the greeks had a kind of uh this kind of hybrid view of this the transcendence of the soul but that almost kind of has a kind of
3: christian view in a lot of ways if you're being judged for your works whether they were good and
0: evil so to to say what a state of death is like and for the soul i don't know i couldn't consciously respond to Is there,
2: is there, so I'm I'm interested in also with how we, when we're talking transcendence and, and everything that that could bring forward, is there, and then, so you bring in the idea of good and evil, a set of polarities, how have, and, and we certainly do see polarity in a lot of, uh, Structured religions, for sure. It seems to be a key one of the key.
0: Yeah, I would say so. A key factor. What? How do we gauge though? What is what is good
2: and what's evil? It seems like there's so much hinging on both ideas at either end, and if we step back and look from a broader perspective. And I guess that's more Eastern, right? You know, because that brings in the idea of karma and dharma and all that. Uh, but how, how do you gauge that on, I guess, your morality compass of what's good and what's well, bad?
3: I mean, I think that you look for those rules that are set aside by God through the prophets, right? Or from God himself. So, And I do actually think you, um, a lot of morality is universal anyway. So, if you look at the Ten Commandments and what's structured in there, a lot of those principles you would find in any type of social structure. You know, you don't cover covet other people's property. You don't, uh, you respect your elders, you respect your parents, whether it's, you know, honor your mother and father. So, I do think that those are kind of universal attributes. So, didn't
1: you know, George so, Carlin reduce those to like two? I don't, don't know. Probably, sketch, yeah. you might be able to. It's like, don't, don't um, fuck with anybody and don't fuck with their stuff was pretty much the, the gist of it.
3: <laughs> it might be that it. simple. Yeah, so some, some people overthink, might overthink it. So I think in subtle, um, in much more subtle instances, you know, you have these, you probably always have had some type of tribal leader or judge or something who tries to ascertain what's best in any circumstance in any particular field. But I think the general morality, if you look really at the, I think, the Christian tradition, it's really about how you treat other people, almost all of it. Talking about how you relate to God and other people. So I think that that's really about kind of good and evil. If you, I mean, even the Lord's Prayer, the final word is delivers from evil. So there's an acknowledgement that something outside, evil can be described as something outside of these simple rules, right? So, if you look at the Ten Commandments, you can invert it, or pull some satanic, levian type trick, and invert it, and that would be just, you know, would be considered evil. So, I don't think that it's a super complex question. I think that you just, you just, I think, I, for me, it's easy to look at scripture, and even in some of these other civilizations, you know, they didn't witch witches were bad, uh, witchcraft was not really uh seen as a positive so you know these
0: are things that exist even if you want to take away biblical scripture i think
2: it, yeah i i do t- i agree that i think that for me i, I know to not go kill people
0: <laughs> you know like I
3: think that's a better transaction translation than
0: so inherently not kill
3: it's really you should not murder
2: Right, and so some some of this stuff just seems unless so you
1: have
3: to,
2: standard. unless you have
3: to, right? Well, that's why I mean you're not supposed to plot somebody's death,
0: right?
2: Right, well, and I, exactly. I guess that's a distinction. Yeah. See, that's where that, and again, that's how tricky all this gets. Uh, so I, yeah, I understand that, and I think a lot of people go by it. I really do like the idea of looking at uh, tribal communities and how they they run because you get it you get a good idea there's and you know we've got shamans and most of them so but back to this idea
0: of where i'm going with this is so the
2: juxtaposition of good and evil and uh dreaming wake life and this set of apparent dualities and i i I just you know i think that that's very limiting to say the least but so as we're talking about death in connection to all this is it possible that we are are in a state of dreaming, and I know thats again sounds kind of Eastern philosophy, but in the end, when you're outside of the nowness, there is nothing else. The nowness is everything
0: yeah, I mean those are good questions. Who is in a dream state going through today is
3: staring at a is staring at a monitor actually a technological creation of a dream state because it is a different state if you're just staring at a monitor all day, right?
0: so um it's a tough one or even just staring at your phone uh, uh it's, you want to get into that mystery of human cognition and
3: consciousness it's like there's all kinds of different states and i think that really successful malevolent politicians and things can really mess with people's mind and put them in kind of a reactionary Dream state, and you know, the, through through mind control on a very general level. So, to say that we're all in some kind of fugue state or something, you know, I do do think people are in a fugue state. If you do a lot of uh mental health pharmaceuticals, I think you're in a fugue state. I think that puts you in. So, to I think it's like going back to some one of the earlier things I said is you got to start parsing through these different states, and I think that the. Uh, the Hindu tradition actually does that very well because they talk about different states of consciousness, you know? And I think that ties in with chakras. And I do, so I do think that those are valid. I think those are valid, uh, typologies to really talk about. So
1: I was on Lexapro for over 10 years. It's definitely a different state of consciousness.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, it's, um, it puts you in this mood where everything can wait <laughs> you know, like ah, i'll do it tomorrow but like every day like i'll do it tomorrow and nothing happens. it's like it's just this you're idling
3: yeah i've heard of that i've heard of that same thing on people who've done zant not zant, what's
0: the what's the big anti-zoloft
3: oh, zoloft or something like that is that really puts you into it
1: yeah Z- few- yeah zoloft is a real strong one lexapro is more of an snri and what
2: was that one Stevie Nicks said was worse than anything else? Klonopin? I think
1: that's it. That's a drug.
2: Well, her, it was prescribed to her by her doctor when she went through rehab for cocaine. And she said it was worse than anything she had done. It
0: worse, you know,
2: worse than the coke? Yeah. Worse, more addicting. And she lost a decade of her life on that. Wow. Oh. I say the same. I've thing. heard
3: really terrible yeah. things about uh, some of these other pain medications too. Is that coming off of them is like uh, you'd much rather be on a roller coaster all day? Yeah, like, that's the way it feels. For, I can't remember what the name of the drug.
2: <laughs> right, you go through more pain. I remember coming
1: Getting off of off the, the Lexapro. Uh, every step I took felt like an electric shock for my body.
3: Yeah, no, I've heard of something like that too. Like, uh,
0: somebody had like pulses going up their spine
1: yes
2: yeah
0: it's really weird
2: and you were and what did you think though i mean that seems like that would be alarming to me
1: my doctor had never heard of it like oh she's like i don't know i'm like okay i don't know it was weird it went away quickly but it was creepy
2: so with so i want to touch on and we did touch on this a little bit
0: earlier but the idea of memory and so and and so lucidity
2: in the state of now and we un, we all understand that this is not a video although sim theory people will differ, but this is this video game, let me put it this way, this video game is sensei heavy. So, you know, I cut you, you bleed, and it hurts. <laughs> Right. So this idea of the lucidity of now that keeps us in the now, and everything else that is not around the nowness, the the idea of memory behind or created active memory pushing forward your ideas into the future, still takes you out of now. And so, with that in context to dreaming, is there? And so. I'm still on transcendence here, William. Okay. Is, there any, is there anything that moves? If we're always here in the now, if we're always here in the now, how does all the rest of this play come into factor? Do you die? Do, you know, like what else can happen if you're always conscious right now? How is it all playing?
0: I know people say, I mean, when you keep saying
3: now, it sounds like Charles Manson or something like that. There's only now is important, but I think that all those people's memories are informing the now, right? So you touch a, a hot skillet, you know not to do that again. I think everybody's actually touched a hot skillet just to see what it's like, so then they know not to do it. So I think all those and that memories brought, and
2: that brings you into the now, right? Sure it does. Man, sure. this hurts. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so like that's really the tough thing about those emotional states, if you're in a lot of pain, maybe it's telling you something, you know. If you're a lot of emotional pain or things like that from your memories. Like, well, maybe it should hurt. You know, maybe if you went through a difficult time, you know, you don't want to do that again. You don't want to get in those positions. So uh, I'm not one of those believers of everything now. It sounds like Scientology or some chair Charles Manson. Forget the past. There's no future, just the present. Because we're all making decisions about what we're gonna be in the future, whether what we're doing tomorrow, in a week, whether we're making plans for our cats, kids. So the past informs the present, informs the future. And then if you want to get into like, you know, history, he controls the past, controls the present.
0: Yes. I'm with
2: you. I've always been too pragmatic for the complete idea of the nowness, right? It makes no sense to me. That if I'm, I'm constantly thinking, the, it seems New Age and Flake in a weird way. Too.
0: Seems to me too. Like, I don't know. You, uh,
3: I, I, I think that that's kind of the, if you want to get into memory and how that intertwines with learning and how it intertwines with experience and how that informs you as a person and how it shapes your character, I think that you need to have that past. You need to have those. That's why everybody's going to get educated wherever they're getting educated. Whether it's brain surgery, flat plane, you know, sail a boat. So all those things are important. I mean, if you really want to get into it. So I don't think, you know, that those
0: accrued uh, experiences inform now, I think, in a positive way.
2: So when people talk about The idea of dreams, and so not from the physical aspect of going to sleep and having a dream, but I dreamed, you know, I have a dream. And uh, all that, which is about, usually, is about something better in the future and moving forward. Yes. Uh, I find that that twist of the language interesting because we have the idea, of course, you go to sleep and, and you have those dreams. And so you, as a trained attorney, know how tricky language is, right? I mean, that's what you studied. <laughs> you attorneys. I married an attorney, so I... We've
3: of a lot as you practice.
2: Criminal law. I, I, I'm not married to him anymore. But criminal law. I went to Chicago, Kent.
0: Nice.
2: And uh, so, and actually, he's... Uh, Public. he's the public defender of a county in Illinois. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's an important job. They don't get a lot of respect.
2: I insisted, I, he was working, got out of school and ended up in like a silk stockings firm, you know, all that, and he's coming home shaking. I'm like, I can't go with this. You, uh, you're not, ha- you know, it's changing you. And so I thought we would do for the better, right? But <laughs> be a public defender.
3: Well, some of those law firms, man, they're really—I mean, lawyering is pretty cutthroat, and some of those uh, environments are not conducive to a stable mm-hmm. emotional state.
2: No, and I was—I was—I was witnessing yeah. that. This is yeah. a great guy, and I was witnessing it transform him in a bad way. And well, so,
3: I—you th- want to talk about dreams of the past and informing the future? I—I I wonder how many lawyers, when their dreams of what they were going to be as a lawyer were the same as what (laughs) happened to them when they were done because there's a lot of lawyers who want to get out of lawyering
2: yes there are so many it it was it's that's such an interesting query William and there are a lot you know we've had several on here or at least I can think of three or four and a couple that went way woo you know like (laughs) channeling and all that
3: Dude, they'll snap back too. Some of those people, are kind of learning in a year, mm-hmm. they're in an ashram. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: <know. laughs> do you think the, um, the increase in the use of uh, the law as a weapon, lawfare, as it were, is, is causing these people to leave? That they had intended to do, you know? Was, Go on. I think it's
3: a lot of different pressures. I think that there's an idealized view of this. Uh, you know, noble character. Right, guys, I got to wrap this up in about five or ten minutes. I wish I could stay for the whole two hours. But there's like this idea of this noble character, and then they get in there and they gotta make money, and you gotta bill, and you have to deal with these other people, and there's a lot of competition, and you know. So it's uh, it's 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 not that I was in a lot room once or a guy billed 24 hours straight. For like six days, so his the pressures were so intense that he just kept billing. It was incredible. There's no way a human being could do that,
0: but he would bill for 24 hours straight. It's incredible. So
2: that's I think, terrible.
0: Yeah, no, totally. I was he was unethical. But yeah. uh, that's right. You
3: know, the thing is, is that if you're a clever biller, you can bill six different clients, and they think you're doing all your work for them, so they don't see the other people getting billed bad.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I I witnessed a lot of that too. Jerry, do we have? I guess we should take questions with this last few.
1: If anyone has, there
2: are
1: any. Anyone has questions, put them in chat. But in the meantime, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Current
3: Uh, things? No, I just finished another. I updated my old documentary called "The Cult of Hollywood." I did it ten years ago, so I put out Volume Two and talked a lot about. We want to talk about symbolism and dreams and whole not uh, 2001 i tried to really break down the symbolism of the uh, monolith and uh, i think people find it interesting it's on vimeo so you can go to vimeo and just type in a occult hollywood or william ramsey and then um i also did a documentary a pretty depressing documentary of the murder of young men that's happening all across the, the world the, called the pushers.
1: Is it the it's push? Funny. The push
3: ones. Um, uh, it- yeah. Right. So they call it in Manchester. They call it the pusher. Mm. So it's this phenomenon of guys going out at night, um, and then disappearing and being found in water. That's they call it here in the states the smiley face killers because they found the smiley face symbol. Um,
1: Wasn't that but, the serial killer in a TV show too? The The Mentalist, right?
3: Yes. Excellent. Very good. That's a great reference. And I included that in my documentary because symbolism is an important part, I think, of the serial killing. So in general, as people are going back to college, who have uh, even women and men, you can, men can get drugged just as much as a woman can get drugged. So that's really kind of the rise. of well, I think these men are being abducted, kept for a time, and then they're either drowned or ritually drowned and then dumped in water to make it look like so it's really hard to, it's hard to believe that that's happening. But I think through my, um, research, that is what is happening. And, uh, I show it and I try to prove it. Those are both on Vimeo. And then all my books are available on Amazon. People, uh, I actually, have been doing a podcast. I've done a lot of interviews recently of William Ramsey Investigates, which you can see on Spreaker, iHeartRadio. And I've been really enjoying that, uh,
2: and YouTube as well. That's YouTube. where I found your podcast.
1: One of your podcast sites isn't updating. I should let you know that. I don't remember which one, but the last, it was only up to like April of 2018.
3: Okay. That's probably, I have, that might be my YouTube channel or something.
1: It was Podbean or Spreaker. Spreaker maybe. I don't know. I'm sorry.
3: I, I'm pretty sure my Spreaker is up to date because that's where I'm supposed to upload to Spreaker and then it goes off. Spreaker's but shoots it out to Apple and everybody else. So I, I'm hoping Spreaker is good. So, But uh, I've had some really interesting guests, and I had Benias on recently. He was fantastic. Excellent book. Really fascinating book. Uh, I really? want to listen to you guys talking to Benias.
1: Was it the reframing the debate book?
3: No, that's the one UFO people. The UFO people. Uh, yeah. Yeah, very strange culture, a very curious culture, I think.
2: Curious, uh, yeah. Yeah, but MJ Benias is awesome. That was a great show.
3: Oh, man. Yeah. I could have done two hours. I kind of try to do my podcast a little shorter so people can listen. But also, I don't like to do a full book report. I find that that format is good for people to kind of get their points in, in as fast as can, and then people go and read. I'm a promoter of book reading, so yeah. I think you go and check out some. There's so many good books out. I mean, almost.
2: Oh my god, there's so many. Man, there's like a resurgence in good books.
3: Yeah, no, it's really something happened. I, I don't know. People really are trying to put out some really thoughtful, uh, intense stuff like I the O'Neill book about Manson and chaos and all that stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. I think with with sites like Lulu coming online, it's more approachable. I think so. I know I used to write books, I used to write tech books, and you always had to find a publisher. I had a publisher, but you had to find, get a pitch an idea, and you had to get it approved, and the editor, and yada, 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 it was a thing. Now you can just you know, write a Word document and put it on Lulu, and you got a book. You're an author.
3: I mean, it has its perils. So you can put out like a not a great research book, but also for somebody, you cut out that middleman. So if you have an audience, it's a much more financially advantageous. When I was trying to market my first book, they were talking about ten percent net. So I know it's such a racket. I got two percent,
1: so that's good.
3: Yeah, I was looking at them like, hold on, ten percent net. Let me calculate that.
0: Ooh. Uh, yeah, no, So no. I I was a cell phone <laughs> <laughs> with all of
3: it, girl. But uh, yeah, no, so. There's really good stuff to read out there. Oh.
1: So, well, I uh, we don't want to keep you. know you have to go. So, thank you so much for coming on the show.
3: It's been a pleasure. I really, uh, I really enjoyed it. Really good mental, spiritual exercise. I didn't really know what to expect, but I'm really delighted to you. Thank oh. you so much. You, well, you were William. Thank you.
2: You were you were fun to talk with. I enjoyed all of your. Uh answers you know I, I enjoyed getting a deeper look into who you are
1: thank you right and thanks everyone for listening and be sure to tune in next week this time we're going to have our show the obelisk will be on and that's going to be a good one all about 9 11 so thanks for tuning in thanks for listening on the podcast and we will
0: talk to you guys next week take care